Good afternoon and welcome to Voice of the People, radio by and for the 99% for January 28th, 2023. And you heard Leonard Cohen's iconic democracy as our intro music because it's just the best thing we could ever find. And we may still be looking, but we may never find anything better. And you're listening to KFGM 101.5 FM, Frenchtown, full-powered Missoula Community Radio, live streaming on 1015kfgm.org and available on podcast at 
anchor.fm forward slash VOP hyphen Montana or searchable on Spotify and other podcast apps under Voice of the People Radio by and for the 99%. I'm Jim, the sound man. And today we have Sandy Birch and Mark Anderlich. How are you both doing? Great. Doing great. Glad to be here. Well, glad to have you both here. But here is wherever we are. And <laughs> <laughs> we broadcast from the new public library in the Missoula Valley of Montana, the ancestral homeland of the Salish and Kootenai people. We, we are recording this show from the comfort of of our own homes, which are also located in the ancestral homeland of the Salish and Kootenai people. But Soundman Jim is sitting in a motel room in Aspen, Colorado, uh, and would be out doing irresponsible things. But tonight, I'm staying home and be, being voice of the people. All right. Well, well, where I am. Oh, excuse me. I make my shout out to our Native American cohorts. Um, this is the home to the uh, Cheyenne and Mountain Ute people. And now a whole bunch of Indians on skis and snowboards. <laughs> Aspen, right? Well, glad you could make it, Jim. Um, in, in hobnobbing with the rich in uh, <coughs> Aspen. Um, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm used to quaking aspens along the creek beds in grand creek ah there you go well yeah we're about ready to be dumped on a big winter storm coming um well and despite all of our deepest wishes the pandemic is not quite over yet and we need you to hang in there still by doing your part by wearing masks when you are inside in public and by frequent washing of your hands and we'll have more about that later. Some encouraging news for once. Um, <clears throat> this show is pre-recorded as our part in halting the pandemic. We hope you enjoy the show as we enjoyed learning how to put this together without going into the studio in the new public library. And we want to give old Mick a shout out and a, a special shout out to our friend of the show, Linda Gillison. Yes, a shout out to our classy classicist, Linda. Hope you're doing well in Winston-Salem. <laughs> and we have a good show today. Um, we have all kinds of important stuff to talk about. Seems like we have no shortage of topics to talk about. In fact, it's really tough to fit it all in. Um, today, however, we will concentrate on the Montana legislature. And we feature an interview as well with Montana State Senator Mary Ann Dunwell later in the show. Oh, I'm looking forward to hearing that as well as the rest of the show. So I guess I'll stick around. That's good news, Jim. I'm glad that you uh, got off the interstate. And uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, and if you hadn't shown up, I mean, look, we won't accept that as a, an excuse because uh, we'd have to dock your pay if you didn't uh, show. So there you go. Oh, that's fine. Nothing from nothing leaves and nothing <laughs> volunteer that I am. Yeah, we should play that song sometime. Yeah, um, yeah, Billy Preston. And I thought that was an homage to Otis Redding, and you were saying you'd have to have the dock of the bay. But, ah, you know, yeah. 
have to bring the script closer to my eye so I can read it all. <laughs> all right. This is a solemn time when we introduce the word of the week. Today, it's a compound, a word and a number. Legislature 2023. Perhaps this word needs no explanation. Well, maybe, but... Only that the Montana legislature meets only every other year for just 90 days. It's a crazy system that makes citizen legislators consider up to 2,000 bills in that time. Although, you know, oh, that that's, people, uh... people oh. always point out that if they had more time, then they'd, then they'd get into even more uh, trouble. Yeah, I don't know if that argument works, but yeah, that's I've heard that too. Um, I remember feeling relief about that last session. Like, well, <laughs> only three months. Yeah. <laughs> I think that that sounds about right, Sandy, because they they bring a, um, a shipping container full of wishes and expectations and needs and. Yep, and we're gonna we're gonna explore some of that um, <clears throat> in this show later on. Um, this week, what's first on our current news, Mark? Well, um, as uh, well, despite 25 months of vaccines against uh, COVID-19 being available in the U.S., the pandemic is still with us as the vaccines are unable to prevent infection or transmission. According, and we'll get to that, we'll, we'll, we're going to get to something that's a little bit more hopeful on that. According to the Johns Hopkins Coronavirus Resource Center website, the overall number of new daily COVID-19 cases in the U.S. is now slowly falling at a rate of about 48,700 cases a day, down from over 1.3 million per day um, a little more than a year ago, which was the highest rate uh, we've had in the U.S. for the entire pandemic. However, now many scientists and others question the validity and accuracy of the CDC's case numbers because of the prevalence of unreported home tests, lack of uniform data reporting requirements by the states, and the incompetency of the CDC. At over 1,140,000 deaths, the U.S. is still by far the world leader in COVID-19 deaths. This Number is equivalent to the population of the city of San Jose, California. Not good. The U.S. has so far accounted for at least 16% of all deaths in the world, and even with the unreliable data for 15% of the confirmed cases, all with still only 4% of the world's population. Oh, yet again, we have to say those are grim things to be exceptional at. Yep, you're right. Um, so what's the situation now in Montana? Well, according to the state of Montana COVID-19 website and the Johns Hopkins Coronavirus Resource Center website, Montana has had 3,633 deaths from COVID. That's 33 deaths in the last seven weeks, which is the last time we actually reported on this. Um, so it's, it's going. there are still people dying from COVID in Montana. This total number of deaths is about equal to, to that of the population of the town of Glasgow, Montana. As of Friday, Montana is averaging a dropping rate of about 71 new documented cases a day. Fully one quarter of all Montanas have had or have COVID. 
And there are currently 16, only 16 people hospitalized with the virus, down 57 from seven weeks ago. Uh, we have been saying this since February 2020, and we will keep saying it until the pandemic is completely beaten. It is a basic solidarity for everyone to wear masks when in public spaces indoors, to distance yourself from others as best you can, and to frequently wash your hands if we are going to beat this pandemic. And there's more, but solidarity requires some sacrifice, but it is essential. Yes, solidarity and sacrifice, just like the adhering to the union label. <laughs> yeah. So what's the next source? Well, and we're going to stick to the COVID issue for a bit here. Some promising work has been done by scientists uh, and published just this month uh, that Sorry. indicate <laughs> that, that nasal sprays that act as a prophylactic may prove far more effective than the vaccine shot in the arm. Uh, this is from a peer-reviewed paper soon to be published. So I get I get the skinny before it's published, um, soon to be published in Trends in Molecular, Molecular Medicine. Now, if I could say it, um, you know, that's on my coffee table. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the paper is quoted as a conclusion, the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as several other respiratory pathogen outbreaks, um, throughout history have had devastating effects on human health with significant economic burden. Current SARS vaccination programs do not adequately induce, uh, put on your seatbelt, URT mucosal immune responses, which may be reflected in high vaccine breakthrough infection and transmission rates. In other words, the vaccines aren't working very well. Um, and, uh, uh, and the limited duration of vaccine medicated mediated protection. So even if uh, they've been finding that people that have gotten the vaccinations, which I have gotten, um, the the uh, effect of it is wearing off. However, the induction of SARS-specific URT mucosal immunity may reduce transmission rates, limit viral evolution, which is very important, and imp improve the longevity of vaccine-induced immunity and could thus help to bring the pandemic to an end, end quote. That sounds intriguing. Well, I think so. And as I understand this, COVID is spread <clears throat> through aerosols from people's breath, just like smoke from a smoker, right? It enters the body. You now, this is the breakthrough, right? It enters the body principally through the nose. According to a January 5th article in Medical and Life Sciences News, that was, that's the other publication I have on my coffee table. Um <laughs> Scientists, quote, scientists pinpoint the routes taken by SARS-CoV-2 to enter and exit cells in our nasal cavity, end quote. The virus attaches itself to the microvilli, not to be confused with milli vanilli, in, <laughs> in, the, in the nose. You remember milli vanilli? <laughs> I sure do, but I don't remember hearing them. <laughs> oh, that's a good one, Jim. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the microvilli are basically hair-like appendages smaller than regular cilia that sweep out debris, bacteria, and viruses out of our nose. The idea here is to prevent the implanting of the COVID virus on these microvilli, which then enter in the body and find cells in which to infect throughout the body, <clears throat> and thereby preventing infection, a prophylactic, if you will, like a condom. 
or a nose condom, I guess. <laughs> now that is fascinating. <laughs> what what would the treatment look like? Well, it's it's a nasal spray, and I think uh, you know there's no injections into the muscle at all, except for the vaccines, right? But the nasal spray uh, has been uh, uh, being researched in other countries, but not much, if any, in the United States. If it works, for many, that would be a lot less objectionable than the vaccine shots. So, Indeed. Uh, <laughs> nobody likes being shot or being hit with a hypodermic syringe. So we will keep an eye out for this on future shows, Mark. Uh, what's next in the news? Yeah. So, well, let's dive into the Montana legislature. We will need to shower after diving in. <laughs> well, this is the official <laughs> listener advisory to, to we <laughs> advise people to do exactly that, Jim. <laughs> so, well, we're all about hygiene on community radio. That's right. Where to first? I mean, yeah, the legislature is pretty dirty work. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Sandy knows. <laughs> um, well, first, we look at abortion rights in the Montana Constitution. Um, and Sandy, do you want to describe Senate Bill 154, which was sponsored by Senator Keith Regeer, to define the constitutional right to privacy that it does not provide a right to abortion? Yeah, I mean, Senate Bill 154, I have a lot to say about it, but. Uh... As far as describing what it does, it's very, uh, thankfully, quite straightforward. Um, it's pretty short, a couple paragraphs. Uh, the bill says, the right of individual privacy as referenced in the Montana Constitution, the Montana Code Annotated, or the Administrative Rules of Montana does not create and may not be construed as creating or recognizing a right to abortion or to governmental funding of abortion, which is just like, I mean, I just think sometimes I just think the legislation that comes out of these people is just crazy. Yeah. Yep. Like, so, I mean, yeah. And I, I just like, as a baseline for this particular bill, I feel like uh, the, I mean, this is just like fundamentally undemocratic, right? Because there's separation of powers that exists. So the legislature is separate from the judiciary and uh, the and the constitution is like separate from all of it. And you're like the legislature can't tell the judiciary how to interpret our constitution, which is basically what SB 154 is like the it's like Regeer, like Keith Regeer, who wrote it being like, I'm going to tell the court system that the right of privacy in the Montana constitution does not apply specifically to abortion, <laughs> um, which is just as ridiculous. And it's very, and I mean, it's, yeah, it's profoundly undemocratic. Obviously they don't, you know, I mean, people like him don't care about that, but um, he's, so that's he's, he's, he's kind of like the, the 10th S Supreme court justice, right? Is that what he's kind of <laughs> doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep exactly yeah it's uh i mean and i i one thing that i like to point out is that um there's a lot oftentimes there's a lot of like pearl clutching on like amongst liberals in the face of this kind of uh right-wing legislation and it's like oh my gosh can you believe that look at what they did and 
And I think that it's always important to remember, um, like, of course, that's what they did. You know, like, I don't think that we should be wasting emotions. Like you, you probably hear in my voice that I find this entertaining, which is probably, you know, one, one thing is that it's easier to be uh, laughing than, or it's more acceptable to be laughing than it is to be um, actively enraged. Or, <laughs> but, or, cry, uh, or crying, <laughs> right? Yeah, right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I don't quite know what, oh, there's a lot of coping mechanisms at work that you can, that you can hear, but I also just think that like, we can't really be surprised by this kind of stuff from fascists. You know, I mean, like Regeer is, a fascist and um and that's and that's like part of the task i think in this legislature is driving the wedge around fascism in the republican party versus like there's a bunch of moderates that are like you know that are not that are actively trying not to be fascists at least is what i would is what it seems like to me yeah um, that's, that's fair enough yep yeah yeah um, and I think that we need to kind of consider that because that is what, I mean, that's just what SB 154 is, um, just straight up fascist legislation. It's the patriarchy is more important than democracy and, uh, and a rigid social hierarchy, including patriarchy and white supremacy is like necessary for upholding capitalism. And that's why, that's why Regeer is doing this and why he, you know, wrote LR131 and does, and just, they all love uh, to be anti-abortion because you got to uphold those fundamental hierarchies of, uh, of your culture. Yeah. And it's, it's always ironic. I mean, we're going to get to this other bill, um, which Regeer was actually the, the chair of the committee hearing this bill. That's the next one we're going to come up with. Um, and people kept saying, well, we, we thought we thought the Republicans were the party of limited government. And here you, you're insisting you're going to force your way into between a woman and her and her physician um, and make decisions and tell physicians what they can't do. Um, that's that's about as invasive uh, state invasion as you can probably get. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And I, and like, that's, but, you know, in a way I would just respond to that by pointing out that that's, uh, I, I don't know where I, and I'm, this is more like questions and opinions, but like just rhetorically speaking, like what value does that point have, you know, like that it's like, yeah, they, that's, it, it's kind of like another form of, uh, you know, like pointing out hypocrisy a while ago, I started to get frustrated with pointing out hypocrisy and especially in the Republican party. Cause it's like, yeah, like of course. And I mean, the, everybody, humans are hypocritical and like, especially humans who have way too much power. And so, um, I don't know, that's kind of, uh, I feel like in a way pointing that out is also like, you, you can't, you can't apply your moral expectations to fascists. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's right. Now this bill, it, it did make it to the floor of the Senate for a vote. Did it, did it pass? I think it passed, right? Yep, it did. It passed uh, 28 to 21 with six Republicans voting Memorial Day. against it. Mm. 
Yeah. So, so, um, so six Republicans actually found it odious enough to vote against it. Yeah. 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 Which is, you know, like I said, I think that we show that there's signs of, um, yeah, signs of that kind of fracturing in the Republican Party, which is uh, great. Yep. What, what, did you, what, did, what did you say, Jim? Oh, I am. Um, Jim is enjoying your conversation. I'm <laughs> sucking it all up and think it's great. All right. Well, and, and uh, anything more to be said about that Senate Bill 154? It'll, it'll now go through the House procedure. It'll go to a House, probably House Judiciary Committee, and then if it passes out of there and then the house floor, and then if it passes there, it goes to the governor to be signed, which you can bet he will. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess actually the one, I mean, I guess that would be my question for you, Mark is like with uh, some perspective on the legislature, like what do you think would be the best course of action, like moving forward with SB 154. And like, I think obviously anticipating that there's going to be another hearing soon and trying to get people to turn out for that would be important, but also like what's, um, yeah. Like what should we be watching for? Yeah. Well, I think that those six Republicans voting against it, making it much closer than I think they suspected or we would have suspected kind of identifying those uh, more moderate Republicans, right? Um, the the Solutions Caucus, I think they still call themselves, they call them past le- legislature, legislative sessions, that <clears throat> that might be where, um, you know, uh, you know, I, one strategy or one tactic would be to, uh, you know, focus on those folks um, and try to, bolster them up and to, to vote no and even if it if it gets passed and, and whatnot I think uh, it'll it probably won't survive a court challenge um, so I don't know it's I wouldn't I wouldn't want to bet the farm on that though yeah mm. yeah I that's kind of where because that's one of the main complaints against SB 154 is that it is unconstitutional and so it's all it's going to do ultimately is cause a bunch of, um, you know, cost us a bunch of money paying for lawyers to defend it. Um, when it inevitably, you know, if it were to pass, it would be challenged. And, um, you know, if the, <laughs> the way I've like, I, I find, I find that has, it's not necessarily like encouraging, but when you look at bills like this and you just think about like, what is the, logical outcome sometimes that helps to like also soften the emotional blow of something like this you're like, <laughs> yeah. well there's a lot of you know and i mean like if if they get a hold of the constitution and rip it apart the way they want to then like yeah sb 154 could eventually become law but like we're gonna have a lot of other problems and like that's gonna be like a whole Right. fight you know of right its own. So, yeah, I, I think yeah. you're right and and i think that's also in the last session the republicans went after the judiciary they're going after them again in a different way this time uh and uh it, because you know because of that damn montana constitution <laughs> right and judges upholding it oh my god that's that's terrible um 
Well, let's move on to uh, Senate Bill 99, introduced by Senator John Fuller, uh, and uh, which would ban healthcare providers from treating minors with medications or surgery who don't fit into the binary male-female gender identity. It would also, in addition, I mean, this is a really broad bill. It would also, um, uh, lost my place here, oh, forbid counseling minors on trans issues. It would forbid dress by minors contrary to one's given gender. And it seems to forbid using preferred pronouns by minors. I mean, this is like, this is a kitchen sink bill. Um, the bill's hearing in the Senate happened on Friday, uh, and I attended. It was a five-hour long hearing. It was very, uh, it was very hard to listen to, and, uh, but the, uh, you know, uh, the supporters of, uh, of trans folks came out in force, did excellent job, pretty much destroyed um, Fuller's arguments. Um, this bill's uh, or this nasty and poorly written bill is intended to protect minors, but will surely cause more harm. A 2020 study in the official journal of the American Ac Academy of Pediatrics demonstrates that access to puberty suppression medication can decrease suicide uh, suicidality. Yes, that's a word by 70% when prescribed to transgender youth, meaning the most recent data clearly shows that these bills would criminalize the very medicine that saves transgender youth's lives. Furthermore, the World Professional Association for Transgender Health recommends that medical providers advise patients to wait until at least the age of 18 until making decisions about various surgeries, making those procedures exceedingly rare among minors. Many transgender people, including adults, do not pursue surgery as a part of their transition. This bill, if passed, will substitute the beliefs of the majority of the legislature for that of the skill and knowledge of physicians. What could go wrong? <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. Where um, where did you say this bill is at the moment? It is. It, it just had a hearing on Friday. Um, okay. And uh, we're recording on Friday, so I'm. <laughs> um, and uh, but uh, uh, it is um, uh, uh, you know going to have executive action uh, by the committee, and chaired by uh, uh, Regeer, um, our friend, and um, and probably you know early next week, um, I think, is when they're going to hear it or decide upon that. And then if it passes out of that committee, which is no sure thing, it, I, the testimony against the bill was devastating. It was thorough and complete. It, it, there was so many trans Montanans that testified against that and told ex very moving stories that, um, you know, it, it was it was really pretty hard and it really blasted the, the sort of whipping up the fears uh, that Fuller is trying to do with this bill. And uh, so, yeah. yeah. What do you, well, what do you same, you know, I mean, same thing, fascists, they got to have, got to have an other, a, uh, yeah. a po you know, a population that they can direct the hatred of their, um, 
I don't know, their constituents at. And uh, I think that's why we see all these attacks on trans rights, yep. which is, yeah, it's yep. appalling. And Montana's uh, first uh, female trans legislator, uh, Zoe Zephyr from Missoula, um, had very strong testimony. Um, and uh, and there were other legislators that testified against the bill too. And um, very moving. I, I must say that, uh, you know, actually listening to the testimony, um, if you're not around trans people who don't have any kind of experience with trans people, um, watch, watch the opposition testimony and you will get a very good idea of how difficult it is. There were uh, plenty of parents of trans kids that came up and said, uh, this bill passes. I don't think my kid's going to uh, live, uh, be alive in a few years. They'll commit suicide or they'll do something, you know, um, self-destructive. Uh, very moving. I mean, when parents are up there saying that it's, uh, you know, a lot of them were, were uh, you know, were crying and were very emotional and it was really powerful, very, very powerful stuff. So, well, and I think that's in general, like the consensus around uh, trans rights activism that I've heard lately is that, or at least I've heard Zoe Zephyr say that, you know, that there's a very, you know, caring community of people here in Montana that has been working, you know, organizing actively, obviously, between last session and this one. And, um, yeah. And one of the things that I heard, actually, I think I heard this on the majority report, was that one of the theories for why the Republicans flopped in uh, these last elections is because they've been going so hard on these trans, uh, you know, attacks on trans people. And that that's like not actually working out for them as an overall strategy, because like most of the population is just like, you know, this is this is insane. This yeah. is ridiculous. People know for the most it part. And the, and the medical community in Montana was unanimous against this. They had, the proponents had some medical people, but they were all out of state folks who were, not all of them, there was maybe one or two that were local in Montana, but most of their testimony came from people from out of state uh, on as, as far as like physicians and medical uh, and uh, uh, from some of these groups that are funded by the right, right, that are promoting this stuff. This doesn't, this is no grassroots swelling of, oh, we're afraid about trans, you know, we better, for, you know, uh, doctors causing harm to trans people, um, which I heard a lot of sort of the, uh, you know, religiously oriented Montanans say, um, it, but it's, uh, you know, a couple of legislators testified they've heard nothing or um zoe when she was on the doors running for election she said that uh she she shared one story was uh a, a mother was i believe it was a mother who was do we need to leave the state is it time to run and zoe said no 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 um we're gonna fight that right and so um that's a hard thing to hear on the doors right when uh and and that's the kind of fear that they try to instill. And it's it's a divide and conquer. It's the othering, you know, you, you're hitting the nail on the head there, Sandy. Yeah, well, and I think that's why it's, uh, um, I think 
we do need to understand. I think that there's a lot of strategic uses of power. And I also think that community building is, is really important and like right. making sure that, you know, cause yeah, I do think that, and I, and I hear, I hear that, you know, from people like, Oh, is it time to leave? And of course, you know, I have my cutoff point, which is fairly far in the future, <laughs> but you know, at which, you know, at which point it's like, all right, I think I might need to get out of here. But um, I think that that is generally true. You know, you have to stay, uh, you know, the, the, the people who understand about equality and like justice and democracy and working towards a better world, you know, like we need to be here, <laughs> even though, uh, you know, I knew plenty of people coming out of the legislature last year who were like, yeah, I think I'm going to move out of state. And it's like, no, like, please, like, please don't. There are people who are believe what you believe. There's a lot of them here you know, and, yep. and it's just about finding each other, which is hard when we are generally fairly uh, isolated in yep. modern capitalism, but yep. it's, it's the task. <laughs> yep. Yep. It, it is the task. Pendulum yeah. um, swings both ways. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. I think people, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of overreach going to happen in, in sort of your, People in the, you know, kind of uh, <clears throat> erstwhile, you know, not uh, not your ideologues, but your average Montanan is probably disgusted with some of this stuff and will kind of vote accordingly, perhaps. Um, well, next up, um, surprise, surprise, attacks on organized labor by this legislature. And I know that comes as a shock to you, Jim. Um <laughs> No yeah. surprise at all. Yeah. Well, and there are several bills to choose from to illustrate that, but House Bill 216, sponsored by Representative Bill Mercer, will do fine as an illustration. This bill purports to increase, inform, and protect public workers' constitutional rights. My God, it's a pro-worker bill. Um, House Bill 216 had its hearing in committee this past week, Instead of increasing informing and protecting workers' constitutional rights, in reality, it forces unions to have to re-sign up all of their public sector members every year and imposes other unfunded mandates on worker organizations. Now, as a little bit of a background, right, and people don't seem to understand this sometimes, but federal, and we've talked about this on the show, right? Federal labor law already considers joining a labor union to be a completely voluntary act, okay? You do not have to join a labor union. Additionally, by federal law, non-union members under a collective bargaining agreement, CBA, which is what the union negotiates with the employer, um, Non-union members enjoy all of the benefits and protections afforded by the CBA. Uh, because of the U.S. Supreme Court decision, um, aptly named the Janus decision, <laughs> two-faced, um, public, <laughs> <laughs> public sector unions are prevented from collecting agency shop fees from workers who choose not to belong to a union. And these are just fees to cover the cost of negotiating and administering the bargaining unit's collective bargaining agreement. The Janus decision allows non-union public sector workers to receive the benefits of the union without paying a single penny for them. 
in effect allowing freeloaders to burden and diminish the union. This is what is intended by so-called right-to-work laws. Uh, and back to Montana's uh, House Bill 216, this bill would impose even more burdens on public worker unions. And this violates Montana and U.S. public policy in that uh, Montana code annotated, I'll read it, it's very short, 39-31-101, you can look it up, uh, in order to promote public business by removing certain recognized sources of strife and unrest, it is the policy of the state of Montana to encourage the practice and procedure of collective bargaining to arrive at friendly adjustment of all disputes between public employers and their employees. By passing this bill, which puts unions under additional stress of an unfunded mandate, it undermines the entire policy of the state of Montana to promote collective bargaining to resolve disputes because without effective unions, there is no collective bargaining. It's just the employer says what you're going to get and that's it. That's not collective bargaining. So that's that's one example of them going after unions. Um, and I would say too that um, you know, we, we've been talking on this show a lot. We cover a lot about strikes and about union organizing and et cetera. And, you know, there's been some amazing kind of organizing that's been going on of late. Uh, but uh, this uh, month, uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics came out and showed that despite all of the headlines, all the news articles, all the stuff going on at Starbucks and et cetera, et cetera, um, the a percentage of workers in a union dropped uh, last year. And so the kind of organizing, and, and I bring this point up, uh, the kind of organizing that needs to happen to really revitalize the labor movement is has to be tripled and quadrupled from what we've been seeing last year, maybe even more than that. So we're nowhere near where we need the kind of organizing we need to do uh, and so, you know, uh, that could happen. We could get there, but um, we're not there yet. Yeah, that's interesting. That's good. That, that's really good to know that uh, the overall total percent of union workers decreased. Um, percentage, of the a, percentage of the workforce. And, percentage of the workforce. Yeah. Right. And that means that the, the real numbers of union members is increasing, but uh, jobs are increasing at an even faster rate. Oh, okay. And so it's a percentage of the total workforce, which is called union density, by the way. That's another word yeah. for it. Right. So, and when you, and unions really are powerful when they get yeah, as long about 30%. Yes. Go ahead, Jim. Well, as the pie gets bigger, the slice yeah. gets narrower. That's it. That's, <laughs> That's it. the wrong path to take. Yeah. Yep. So, okay. Oh, and, well, uh, and, well, and I also just want to flag that Americans for Prosperity was uh, pumping some money into HB 216, right? Weren't they running some advertisements? They, yes. They were. Yes, yeah, and in, uh, in Montana. Yeah, and that's just that's some straight up billionaire uh Charles Coke. Coke? Yep. Yeah. Right. And uh, that's <laughs> you, uh, you treaded right. on that name Absolutely. carefully. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 
Well, I got to get it right. Yeah. You know, he's a big deal. I mean, I, I, I feel like, uh, you know, it's just like people think it doesn't matter. Like Montana's some, just a backwater, you know, such a low population state. And then you got, you know, we matter, we matter to the billionaires, you know, they're throwing all kinds of money at, and you know, that, I mean, I, I don't know, a part of me kind of enjoys that because it, it, I don't know if the, the billionaires really keep up on it on a day-to-day basis, but I just like the idea that some like good old in Montana, like good old organizing and getting enough people to be really ticked off about this, uh, this bill could, you know, actually force these legislators to do the right thing, even when you know they could be bought, right? Like if there's this money, this is if there's this money, money around, then like they could be bought. And so I think that that's one of the things that's cool about Montana politics is that, you know, not infrequently, many you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think not infrequently, you can actually generate enough public accountability that it will overwhelm the the greed of these um politicians which i think is really lucky i mean i think we have a lot of privilege to live in a state where that is still true sometimes yeah yeah i would agree with that yeah yeah it's what brought me to montana (laughs) accountability (laughs) all right well, our, our our next 2023 Montana legislature bill is Senate Bill 121, sponsored by Senator Becky. Yeah, right. Oh, what's that, Jim? Oh, uh, no, I'm frustrated by what we've been talking about. Yes. And so take it out. <laughs> take it out on something inanimate. That's that's good. Right. Um, <laughs> um Well, Senate Bill 121, sponsored by Senator Becky Beard, but really initiated by Governor Gianforte, uh, a millionaire himself, which would further cut income tax rates to almost one rate for everyone. In other words, it's it's a massive tax break for the rich. In addition, as a sweetener, though, this bill would increase Montana's currently paltry earned income tax credit, the EITC, aimed at reducing poverty. This bill, if passed, would cause a drop in Montana yearly revenues to the tune of 160 to $180 million. That's not chump change. Um, of which, of that figure, only $11 million no, per year would be spent on reducing poverty through the EITC. So this is clearly a, a saving billionaires you know, a big chunk of that money that this bill passed the Senate on a 34 to 15 totally partisan vote. Um, and according to the Montana Budget and Policy Center, quote, Montana has the opportunity to invest in Montana communities with a record surplus of $1.9 billion, which came entirely from the federal government. Uh, Governor Gianforte plans to use much of the state budget surplus in tax cuts that benefit the wealthiest Montanans more than the rest. Those income tax changes include dropping Montana's top income tax rate from 6.5% to 5.9%, and uh, giving the wealthiest 1% of Montanans an average tax cut of nearly $6,000 annually. Those with incomes near the median income between forty-three dollars and $67,000 
would receive an average princely tax cut of $70. And people making less than that, you're going to see less of a tax cut. So uh, yeah, this is a tax cut for the rich. And like, once again, I mean, the number, the specific numbers are just always 6,000. It's, is it, did I read that right? The yeah. Top, the wealthiest 1% of Montanans get an average tax cut of nearly $6,000 a year. It's like, I mean, if you're that rich, like six grand is not even that much money. Yeah. You know, it's like, what is even like, that's not, that's what these people like give to their children at Christmas, you know, or like <laughs> yeah. give more than that to their children at Christmas. Yeah. And, yep. and so it's like, what is this? It's infuriating. Yeah, this is not the first tax cut. <laughs> right. That's right. That's right, Jim. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and this is and, over top of what already has been done, which may have been unnecessary. Yeah. Oh, it certainly was unnecessary. You know, uh, in 2003 and again in 2021, the last session, the Montana legislature decided to give massive tax breaks to the wealthy in part by changing the individual income tax to what is essentially a flat tax instead of a progressive tax, which is far more fair. Under a flat tax, the working poor pay about the same rate as the wealthy. This amount in terms of percentage of their income. This amounted to a huge tax cut for the rich. At the time, it was argued that giving to the rich would build and expand the economy and lift everyone's boat. But that never happened. There is no evidence that it has. In fact, there was just a study that came out, Montana's economy uh, compared to other states nationwide is definitely in the bottom 10% of uh of improvement mm -hmm. after you know the shut economic shutdown from covid um and you know and i you know and i think we're still waiting for them tax cuts to kick in to build you know to to become the land of milk and honey here in montana um oh there are a few economists who try to use highly technical economic models to demonstrate that tax cuts do benefit the economy, but other more straightforward studies show this is hogwash, such as the comprehensive and authoritative study, and Jim, you remember this, uh, uh, published in December of 2020 yes, by David Hope of the London School of Economics. No, that's no uh, community college. And Julian Limburg of the King's College. Their study uses data from 18... OECD countries, which is basically US, Canada, Europe, and Japan, over the last five decades, over the last 50 years, to estimate the effect of major tax cuts for the rich on income inequality, economic growth, and unemployment. They found very clearly that tax, tax cuts for the rich only make the rich richer while doing nothing to grow or improve the economy. Common sense should also tell us this is true. And while we're all waiting for our economy to prosper, for our boats to rise, the people of the state did not get hundreds of millions of dollars since 2005. For, of course, tax cuts mean less money for the state, money that could have been invested in essential programs, invested in the people and land of Montana, all because of a false and nonsensical promise. I mean, I maybe I'm maybe I'm not being harsh enough. It's like theft. This is this is the rich stealing right in front of our 
right in front of our eyes from the poor. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. You'd think that. Yeah. I mean, how do we get on top of the messaging around this? Because, you know, I just I feel like voters are because are, uh, the Republicans do this all the time. And well, like, but they, yeah, they, they, you know, they just have, they just are like so far ahead on the PR and the propaganda and the like, they're just so, you know, like when did they start? When, when did the trend start for maybe it's just really old lowering taxes. It's an easy thing to get people in support yeah. of. <laughs> yeah. There's a wonderful history of that and it's pretty, and it's all recent. And the the GOP has done a marvelous job of of owning the messaging and make saying falsehoods so frequently and stridently that people just assume, well, you know, the Democrats are socialists and the Republicans are for prosperity and try to meet them halfway. But <clears throat> they've already fallen off a cliff and they're down on the Colorado River. And the other party is struggling to maintain some sanity and to have a coherent message. So it's it's very, very difficult with such with a, such lopsided appeals to be able to come up with anything that that is purposeful and and solid and real. And that's why my in my view, what I think that things like this study, right, from <laughs> um, is so important, right? And it's, you know, basically, you know, I testified the last session about this and it just went over people's head. We're going to look at another bill, the last bill. It's, a, it's, it's even worse, right? Um, but I, I'm going to say this, that, uh, that that's not a very popular proposition, even among Republicans to give tax cuts to the rich, it really isn't. And so if you have good facts and figures and there's an effective messenger, and that's where I think is the biggest problem that we're facing is that uh, Montana Democratic Party has not been an effective messenger. Um, I don't know, you know, the Montana Budget and Policy Center, but their reach is pretty limited um, that uh, it needs to be, you know, we need, we promote this on our show. We say, well, look, you know, the emperor has no clothes and you got to keep saying it and saying it and saying it until people go, oh yeah, yeah, screw that. And it, it could change, but um, we need more effective uh, messengers, I think, with armed with things that are, uh, you know, that challenge, that challenge the lies that come out about this. The next one, and so this so, one, we're sorry. going to spend a, oh, go ahead, Sandy. Yeah, can I just get a recap on where, S, it looks like SB 121 is in uh, finance. It says, did it get referred to another, or where is it at in the process? Oh, yeah. I'm looking at the page, and it looks like it was in taxation, but now it says referred to committee, Senate well, finance and claims. Well, actually, the... Um, it uh, 121 already passed the Senate on a 34 to 15 partisan vote. So it's, it's going over to the house, some house committee now uh, probably won't be heard for several weeks, but you know, uh, 
bringing bringing up hope in Limburg, <laughs> I think <laughs> is is I know you like that, Jim. Um, that uh, uh, hope in Crosby, right? Uh, <laughs> it should should uh, should do a shtick uh, before the House uh, Taxation Committee, I think. Um, so, well, um, moving along here, the the last bill we're going to look at is. Um, this one takes a little more explaining because the propaganda around this has got lots of Democrats sucked in too. Um, it's Senate Joint Resolution 2, sponsored by Senator Tom McGilvray, that calls for a U.S. Constitution Article 5 Convention of States to propose amendments to address the so-called national debt and other alleged violations of the Constitution. Okay, sounds dangerous already. Um, this, yes. bill, <laughs> this bill had a hearing and passed out a committee, believe it or not, and will be voted on the floor of the Senate. I believe the, the vote in the committee was pretty close, seven to five, I believe. Um, I could be wrong about that. But this bill, uh, if passed, would join Montana with 19 other states whose legislature have passed similar bills. Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution allows for, quote, the application of the legislatures of two-thirds of the several states shall call the convention for proposing amendments to the U.S. Constitution, end quote. After that, it takes three-quarters of the state legislatures to ratify those amendments. So that's the process by which they're, they're trying to move this. So... Um, and that is abominable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, uh, it's, it, it's, it's false economy, flawed theory. It's just like arguing, well, if we took out a mortgage so we could buy a house, that would impoverish us. We, <laughs> we can't invest in the future. We can't, we can't finance progress. It's, it'll happen by... Yeah. By itself, if the rich people like us. So right. far it hasn't happened that way. Right, right. Yeah, that's the other, that's the other shoe. That's pretty good, Jim. Um, well, and you know, it's based on a truly flawed <laughs> understanding of the so-called national debt. We have covered this on the show before, right? Stephanie Kelton wrote a yes. called the deficit myth, right? Mm -hmm. Excellent book. I highly recommend it to people to read. It's pretty easy reading for an economist. It's very easy reading. Um and um, anyway, um, and so, and I testified against this bill personally um, in this way. I said, while I agree that unfunded federal mandates are odious and that there are serious constitutional issues before this republic, the sponsor of this bill has perhaps misunderstood the impacts of the so-called national debt and the prescription to constitutionally address the national debt through fiscal restraints on the federal government. The so-called national debt is broadly the accumulated amounts of federal government spending and so-called borrowing to fund that spending minus federal government revenue, which is mainly gained through taxation. If the federal government spends $6 trillion in a year, but only collects $5 trillion in revenue, there is a deficit of $1 trillion. This sounds scary, but is only half the picture. While Congress directs where that money specifically goes to, the American public generally is the recipient of that $6 trillion. 
a more accurate portrayal of the so-called national debt must include what we learn when we use simple double-entry bookkeeping. While federal spending is a liability for the government, it is an asset for the American people. I'm going to repeat that. Mm-hmm. While federal taxes are, while federal spending is a liability for the government, it is an asset for the American people. Broadly, you are listening to KFGM 101.5 FM, Frenchtown, full-powered Missoula Community Radio. Live streaming also on 1015kfgm.org. While federal, That's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, this is like that double entry bookkeeping. It so simply and succinctly, I love it. I love it. While federal taxes are an asset for the government, they are a liability for the American people. Okay, so it makes sense. You got two sides of the ledger. You can't just look at one side and and make your decision. Um, the f- so here's where the rub comes in. Uh, the federal national debt, so-called national debt, is currently around thirty-one trillion dollars. And if you watch that damn clock, it's always going right. <laughs> um, to reduce this, right. <laughs> it makes your eyes go across, right? Um, to reduce this debt to zero, the federal government will need to reduce spending and or increase taxes by $31 trillion. In 2021, the gross domestic product of the U.S. economy was $25 trillion. In other words, to eliminate the national debt, it would require the federal government to cut spending and or increase taxes amounting to more, more than the entire U.S. economy produced in 2021. Clearly an economic catastrophe. One might uh, argue that the cost of borrowing, so-called borrowing money to support spending above revenue is living beyond our means. This is very true for state and local governments. State and local governments must have revenue to at least match spending. But this is not the case for the federal government. Why? Because the federal government is the sovereign issuer of money. It can, and has done daily for decades, create money for spending. And in, in other words, you know, the, the money that you get in your Social Security check, that is not tax money. The money that the state of Montana got for COVID relief, the two billion dollars, whatever it is, that is not tax money. That is money that has been created by the federal government. And they that's how they do business. It's just a description mm-hmm. of how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the sovereign issuer of money, the federal government can never go broke. Never. The federal government in the end does not need to borrow any dollars to support its spending. It can create dollars at any time. So why would it borrow money that it can create? Uh, to pay bills. The federal government budget is most assuredly not the same as our household budgets because, you know, Jim and Sandy, if any of us created money in our basement, we would go to prison (laughs) to pay our bills, right? The federal government can do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is not like the state budget either. Only the federal government can issue money at will. Therefore, this bill offers a wildly incorrect understanding of the so-called national debt. If the prescription contained in this bill to cut federal spending is accomplished, it will mean economic ruin for vast parts of the U.S. economy. So that's how I ended my, of course, they voted for it, right? So I didn't persuade them, but. 
Well, this this kind of thing is always the like the no, worship. That's absolutely correct. There is a fundamental misunderstanding about what you know. What is wealth? How do you create progress and <laughs> prosperity? And you know, sir, those you know, those funds that, that are used to do something that hasn't been done yet is the seed capital to bring this country forward. There you go, Jim. Yeah, I mean, we have it's, to invest. A, a, an analogy. Yeah, an analogy that people can understand is paying tuition in order to learn something that will make you a more valuable citizen and employee. People don't have a problem with that. Yeah. But in all other respects, that that correlation or that analogy breaks down and it's tragic because it's it's fundamental. Yep. Sandy, you were going to say something? You can't move forward unless you take a step. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, what I was going to say is that it's um, uh, the obsession with balancing the books, you know, and like I think part of what underlies that is a reluctance to admit the illusion that money is you know just like you said it's like yeah the, the feds just print they just print money like they just invented right, right they use they use tremendous amounts of power and violence right to to inf inflict their authority over saying what is money and what isn't money like you said like we can't just go print money but the feds can and um yeah, it's just, uh, it's, it's, I think that that's part of it too, right? It's like, if you're in the paradigm where you have to, ba you have to balance the budget and deal with this national debt and oh God, it's so bad. It's like part of that mind state is just like worshiping the market and the, like the way that like all of our finance and our market is set up when really it's like, you got to just be real about the fact that right this is just, they can just print Dollars. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's a, it's really a, a lie that a lot of Democrats buy into too, by the way, um, that uh, the, um, that, you know, that there's this limited supply of money. I mean, um, <laughs> and, and, and of course, most money isn't the form of currency or dollar bills or anything like that. It's mm -hmm. just, it's, it's digits on, a, on your, on a computer, right? That's, that's where the money is. Um, and so this, and the lie really begins um, when they, when uh, politicians equate our household budget with the federal budget, that's, that's where the mischief begins because it's not the same. And um, it, the state budget, yes. City budget, yes. County budget, yes. We have to live within our means. The federal, in, in of of good purpose, uh, as Jim said, it's like we need to be investing into our into ourselves so that we meet human needs and that we, you know, become a society where we are uh, becoming uh, the best that we can be as individuals and as a collective. Um, and it's very similar. Uh, you know, right now, uh, the U.S. Congress is playing out this debt ceiling drama, and it is very intimately connected with this Montana Senate Joint Resolution, too. 
you remember that the U.S. Congress itself imposed this daft idea of limiting the national debt by artificially creating a ceiling over which Congress dare not tread. This was meant to slow down or stop the increasing so-called national debt. But Congress has raised the debt ceiling many times, really making the debt ceiling a joke. And by the way, there's only one other country in the world that has a debt ceiling. You have 100 and, I don't know, 70, 180 governments around the world. There's only two governments that have a debt ceiling. And the United States is by far the biggest one, of course, and the only one. Australia had it uh, back, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. And it was, and they saw it was so stupid, they got rid of it. And uh, to no ill effect, that's for sure. You know, so, it, it, you know, this debt ceiling thing is a joke. Um, and sometimes, you know, well, according to economist Stephanie Kelton, I mentioned her earlier, on her January 21st blog, The Lens, the U, quote, the U.S. hit its self-imposed debt ceiling limit of $3.381 trillion on Thursday, January 19th. It's a pity it didn't happen on February 2nd because Groundhog Day is pretty much the perfect way to mark the occasion. Here we go again. On the day the limit was reached, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who, by the way, said that uh, 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 you know, uh, or high unemployment was good to discipline the workforce, that that came out in a <laughs> in a recent. Uh, uh, thing, but at least she is uh, like her predecessor Steve Mnuchin under the Trump administration uh, wrote a letter to Congress explaining that the U.S. Treasury would begin taking extraordinary measures to make good on spending commitments it previous previously authorized under the law. That's what's this is Kelton still. That's what's so frustrating about the debt ceiling limit. When the limit is reached, it forces Congress to reaffirm its willingness to spend what it is already legally and constitutionally obligated to spend. Imagine you walk into a restaurant with a group of friends. You ask for a table for six. You follow the hostess to the booth. Everyone studies the menu and then places an order. The waiter takes the order to the kitchen and the chefs begin to prepare the meals. By ordering the food and drinks, you're committing to pay the tab. Now, suppose everyone gets up and walks out, stiffing the restaurant instead of paying the bill. As I, Stephanie Kelton speaking, said in, in this interview with Ali Velshi last week, House Republicans are threatening to stiff a bunch of people that the government has already promised to pay, end quote. So, um, um, so the debate is whether or not Congress is going to become a deadbeat and not, <laughs> and not pay its bills. Yeah, exactly. That's the Republicans saying we're we're going to be a deadbeat if you don't if you don't uh, you know cut spending, um, and you know, but it's actually much worse than that than stiffing people. As economist Jamie Galbraith from the University of Texas, Jim's old alma mater. Uh, Galbraith wrote in The Nation on January 19th, quote, this is the real danger, which is that this hocus pocus will be used to force cuts in Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and much more, using a fake crisis to create a real one. That's the Republican plan. The danger is that Democrats may be trapped by their own scary rhetoric into capitulating, end quote. 
When you go back to the Montana legislature, Senate Joint Resolution 2 weaponizes this brutal mindset and seeks to enshrine it in the U.S. Constitution. That's why it's so scary. So, yeah, well, and it's always interesting to see it playing out, you know, on a national scale and then uh, on a local scale. Right. As yeah. Well. Yeah. And there's I draw those relationships that pattern. Yep. Absolutely. Well, um, we're almost out of time for this segment, though. But if you wish to engage the Montana legislature on these or any other issues, uh, whatever your opinion, you can go to their website at ledge.mt.gov that's leg.mt.gov forward slash session s-e-s-s-i-o-n forward slash have your say um, with hyphens between have your and your say and uh, you can it'll explain everything you need to know about contacting your legislators or contacting committees or communicating in some way your uh, opinion on these issues. This is a project of Montana DSA, the Democratic Socialists of America. Today is January 16th, the birthday of uh, Democratic Socialist Martin Luther King Jr. And our guest is Senator Marianne Dunwell, longtime progressive champion for women's rights, for human rights, for economic justice, for the working class and for the poor, for adequately funding adequately funding essential human needs for healthcare for all, and many more topics. She's our uh, beloved and honored guest today. Um, I'll tell you a little bit more about uh, this podcast. My name is Frank Kremkowski. I'm from the Helena chapter of DSA, Democratic Socialists of America. Um, Montana DSA has several chapters affiliated with the DSA uh, in Billings, Bozeman, Helena, and Western Montana. DSA members believe both that the economy and society should be democratically run to meet human needs and not to make profit for a few. And so our guest today has long um, been an ally on these kinds of issues. Um, as, as we go along in this uh, legislative session, we're going to produce uh, weekly podcasts. Our first one uh, was with uh, Sandy Birch from Missoula on the work of the DSA coalition to uh, fight off legislative referendum 131, which was uh, soundly defeated uh, by progressive forces across Montana. This podcast is produced by the Helena DSA chapter and our focus these days and in this podcast series will be to critically examine um, one, the lay of the land in the 23, 2023 legislative session for, for passing progressive legislation or for defeating regressive legislation and attacks on progressive uh, legislators and legislative issues. Our main three issues are affordable housing, abortion rights, reproductive justice, and labor issues. And the second focus of our podcast series is to uh, try to discuss how we, Montana DSA, can work collaboratively with other progressive groups and legislators to uh, work on these issues that we care so deeply about. As I said, our guest today is, is um, Marianne Dunwell. Uh, she's a Democrat from representing hey, hey, District 42. I'm on a podcast. 
She's I, representing District 42 <laughs> in the Montana State Senate. She assumed office this uh, just uh, on January 2nd, 2023, and her current term ends on January 4th of 2027. She has been in the legislature for quite a while. Uh, she was uh, representing the Montana House uh, District 84 in the House of Representatives uh, from 2015 to 22. Um, she's been a, a hero of mine for a long, long time. I've known her for more than 20 years. But she said in one of her um, comments that she's a progressive Democrat who refuses to throw in the towel and surrender to the regressive right-wing politics of our now red state that used to be blue and then purple. She's running to, she's working to improve people's lives. And she asks us to join her to keep working hard for affordable health and mental health care, child care, housing, and higher education, and to protect those uh, precious parts of our constitution that regressive legislators are starting to attack. So I want to welcome you, Marianne. Thank you for being with Hi. us this morning. Hi, Frank Kromkowski. Thank you so much. And thanks to Marshall Mayer, who is beside, behind the scenes. He is running the Zoom podcast, so recording. So thank you to both of you and to your viewers. Yes, Marshall and I have been longtime uh, members of DSA. In fact, we're lifelong members of DSA, having both been at the founding convention of the Democratic Socialists of America in March of 1982 in Detroit. And now we're both here in Helena, at least for the most part, we're here in Helena. Marianne, I know that this is going to be a tough legislative session, and I know that you've been preparing to uh, fight a good fight for many things that you care about. What's your perspective on what kinds of challenges you face as a progressive legislator in this um, legislative milieu? Well, um, thank you, Frank, and good mo Well, we are recording this on Martin Luther King uh, Day, the, the holiday in honor of the late Reverend Martin, Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King. And like Frank, before we started recording, you mentioned that, that the Reverend Martin Luther King was a, um, a democratic socialist. So I guess this is very fitting that we're recording this on, on this day. So, so yes, I am Senator. Marianne Dunwell. I'm a freshman to the Senate. I've been in the House for, for four sessions. And um, the Senate is a little bit different. And, and I, I like that part about it. There's a lot I don't like uh, about the whole climate environment at the legislature this session. And I'll get into that. First of all, um, maybe this was an omen. I have to tell you, my the second day of session, I fell down the, the steps inside the Capitol, one of the staircases. And um, when I went the next day to urgent care, it turns out I broke a bone in my ankle and uh, bruised some ribs. And um, so I'm joking that I guess I got off on the wrong foot. But uh, people say, oh, yeah, those stairs are really steep. And I'm like, no, no, no. I was getting over a cold. And so I was wearing a mask and my mask was fogging up my glasses. Those of you who wear glasses get that. And I wasn't holding on to the railing because I didn't want to spread my germs. So I also say no good deed goes unpunished. So so that, that set the stage for my experience. <laughs> um, but I have to tell you, seriously, very seriously, I am worried about the environment here at the legislature we are already seeing um, 
after hearings, quick moves to table bills um, before there's a robust discussion, before we have opportunity to debate, because tabling is a motion that is undebatable. So they're they're silencing our voices. Uh, our, I say Democrat, I'm a member of the Democratic caucus, and we already are in the minority in the Senate. And we have, of course, 15 members, um, only 16 of those are Democrats. We call ourselves the sweet 16 strong Democratic caucus in the Senate. Um, and, you know, they're, we're finding we're being seated behind a, a, an obstruction so you people online can't see us. Um, and we're, so, so, so the tabling is a real, real issue. Um, I sit on transportation committee and there are four of us Democrats on the Senate transportation committee, for example. Um, one, one of us was, was absent sick last week. Um, we heard a very, very compelling hearing, um, from members of the Blackfeet nation to honor the late chief Earl old person with a little stretch of highway 89 within the reservation. And there were no opponents and a lot of proponents and a beautiful, beautiful songs, native songs. It was a wonderful presentation. And, 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 um, right away after the folks had left, they waited till the folks left. Um, and we took executive action about 10 minutes later. Um, there was a move to table it right away without any discussion. Just, I, I thought that it was very insensitive. And all three of us um, Democrats uh, present spoke up um, in protest. Um, as it turns out, yeah. we, the sponsor, we all worked together. The sponsor decided to blast it. I, it was the first blast motion of the session. Um, so we blasted it onto the floor on Friday and we got enough votes um, to hear, um, hear it again hear the bill again today in the Senate. Today is Monday, the 16th of January, Martin Luther King Day. We're going to be hearing it um, on the Senate floor this afternoon and taking a vote on it. So um, that, was a, that was a success. It was a lot of work to get to that success. Um, and people's voices, people weighed in. That is so influential to the majority party. Because they go home and and talk to their constituents and represent folks, these folks. Um, the other thing I'm finding is um, I'm chair of a local government interim committee. And this session, a lot of affordable housing bills will go through some good policy, some not so good policy. And we'll be getting a lot of the subdivision regulations to ease up on some of those regs and land use regulations so that it can be an impetus for building housing. Um, and what I have to do is take time and balance that need with our constitutional guarantee of a clean and healthful environment. So for Friday, when we met on this bill, um, we voted on it right away. And, and we said, I'm not, I said, I and my colleague, Chris, Senator Chris Pope, um, we said, we're not ready to vote on this. We need to talk to, I needed to talk to my county, um, which I did over the weekend. Nevertheless, we were forced to vote. So we were forced to vote on something that 
we didn't have complete information on. And that's not okay. Um, uh, um, so, so that's going on. I, it seems to be some of these bills that maybe the governor's bills that are Republican bills are, are being ramrodded through, and that's just not okay. What can remedy that is that we rise up um, and people out there, please rise up, zoom in and testify, come to your Capitol and testify, um, have your voice heard because I can speak up and all of my colleagues can speak up, Democratic colleagues, which we are doing, we are doing day in and day out already. It's just the third week we're getting into the session now. Um, the thing is, we're the minority. Like I said, we're the sweet 16 strong, but we're only 16 out of 50. So we need your voices to make up for that. Um, so I, I'm, I'm finding it's an environment of oppression, suppression, especially with respect to the public's right to know. Um, I, I think it might have been the first Senate floor amendment. I brought it um, that first week um, with my broken ankle and hurting ribs. I stood up and brought it. Um, to require, it sounds wonky, but it's so important, to require legal review notes be attached to bills when the legal review notes are done. Right now, the, the, the rules, written mostly by the majority, the rules set prohibit, prohibit you to see a legal review note which flags something for, for potential nonconformity with our Montana Constitution or U.S. Constitution. It prohibits you from seeing that with the bill. You'll, you'll notice fiscal notes, when there's a fiscal note, they're attached to the bill. Used to be, when I started my first session in the House 2015, legal notes were always attached. What that does, it, it gives, it, it's the public right to know really the implications of these bills. Um, and we saw this past biennium, so many bad bills go up before the courts and the state spent millions of dollars defending those bad bills, that many of which fortunately were overturned by the courts. We can avoid spending all that taxpayer dollars, all those taxpayer dollars. We can avoid that if we simply public to attach the legal review note to a bill. Well, it, it was an amendment to the rules and it was voted down. I'm also bringing a bill to this effect. So I would love it if people could testify in favor of this because it's a public right to know. Um, clear and simple. Our constitutional public right to know, public right to participation um, and engage in what's happening here at the people's house. And I'm sitting in my office in the Senate. We get an office. We share it. I share it with Senator Janet Ellis. So she might be walking in at any moment. So just know I'm there are people around me and such. So um, that's the framework we're starting out on. It's not a it's not an environment that encourages public participation, that encourages robust civil discourse. Um, it's a gavel down, shut up, move it, move it along environment. And I'm not being, that's not hyperbole. That's not hyperbole. We already saw one young 
a representative resign after two weeks. And I think everybody's read about that in the paper um, because she's a Republican, young Republican, and wouldn't toe the line and didn't feel she could represent her constituents in that in that um, arena of of her uh, her constantly having to fight her Republican Party because she voted her conscience and with her constituents. So, um, like I said, it's oppression. It's suppression. Um, and that shouldn't be. And I appreciate podcasts like this because the reporters, they're doing a great job. These little nuances don't get out though. And, and, and there's, you know, there's all these noise of these Republican talking points and, and that's unfortunate. And so I did, I hope I answered your question. You certainly did Marianne. And of course, uh, it's so distressing to hear that there are such um, regressive actions by the majority to uh, simply uh, sidetrack, you know, basic democracy or even information flow. The idea that uh, there wouldn't be a legal review document that the public could take mm -hmm. a look at or even legislators could take a look at to look at what the uh, legislative lawyers are saying in the background about a particular mm -hmm. bill. Saying, yeah, you Frank, know, yeah, can I make a quick correction? Sure. As a legislator, I can request a legal review note. However, I'm not an attorney. I'm a lay person. Sure. Montanans want citizen a citizen legislature. Well, this is what you got. I'm not an attorney. So how am I to know if a bill would be unconstitutional? It might give me a funny feeling in my tummy, but that's not science-based, right? Um, so how am I now to ask for a legal note? Sure. I did and, already um, with sure. my tax committee I sit on, taxation. We're going to see a lot of these so-called tax cut bills, but they're going to be tax cuts for the wealthy. I can give you an example when we get there right now. I'm, 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 um, I just, uh, yeah, sorry, I forgot what I was going to say, but. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> no, gets ahead but, of my... but any of these things that obstruct the uh, citizens' ability to know about a particular piece of legislation, mm -hmm. what its fiscal impl implications are, uh, who wrote it, who were the, the uh, uh, you know, the, this persons, was, uh, the persons and the groups behind it, whether yeah, or not they're this, legislators or right-wing yeah, I, well, this was um, this was a rule that was um, introduced and passed last legislative session, 2021. And despite some attempts, um, to take it out, um, it's it, it. They refuse to take it out. Obviously, I brought an amendment to to delete it, to repeal it, um, but they they voted to keep it. So that's, you know, I did. So I said, how am I to know as somebody who's not an attorney? Well, I did just point blank ask um, the staffer in local government committee, which I vice chair, and the taxation committee to. Any bills that we hear that have legal notes, I'd like a copy of the legal review note. So I did do that. Um, and But we shouldn't have to do that. I mean, it should be just attached with the bill. It's part of the record. Um, and fortunately, we still... Well, the other thing is when people, when people weigh in, uh, uh, send us emails and, and such like that, um, or we get letters, uh, 
proponents or opponents, those aren't attached to the records either. Um, so the only way to get a sense of how the public's feeling about a bill is really to watch the watch the hearing live or watch the video later. That's a great thing. And let's let's hope that stays around the recording of the hearings that that you could go back and listen to. Um, um, so hopefully we'll retain some of the amenities we have that 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 underscore our right to know. Well, it is difficult enough for citizens who don't live in Helena to uh, keep track mm -hmm. of this by by looking at all the hundreds of bills that are there, uh, including, you know, 42 potential amendments to the Constitution, only some of which have been put forth as uh, drafts. But mm -hmm. whenever whenever we uh, find ourselves not only uh, pressed for time to, to look at these legislative issues, whether they're taxation or housing or health care, um, we rely so much on people who are very knowledgeable like you. But when the majority is putting such basic obstacles in our face, we wonder um, whether or not the uh, idea of whether or not we can save our democracy is uh, is not just a uh, a joke, but it's a tremendous challenge today. So in terms of things that are coming up soon on the other issues that you care about, uh, what are those uh, bills or uh, texts of, of uh, resolutions that you are primarily concerned that we should know if we really care about those basic human rights and economic rights? Um, well, the, 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 the usual suspects that I introduced. Um, and, and before I start that, you said, can we continue to do that? Um, I, I I, on my signature, on my email for the legislature, I have a quote by uh, Ukraine President Zelensky. When you must, you can. It's a very simple quote. And we're at the point where we must. I mean, I'm not comparing this to the awful invasion by Russia of Ukraine. I'm not comparing it to that. But it's a relevant quote for all of us. When you must, you can. Um, so my usual suspects of bills, and in addition to a couple new ones, um, uh, mental health is a top priority for mine, and and each session I've carried uh, uh, mental health screening for youth, um, youth behavioral mental health screening in schools that basically can flag whether a student is struggling emotionally, behaviorally, mentally, um, and um, and when you when you when you do use this instrument to flag that then the next step is is getting them in touch with um school counselors and um then possible therapists and getting the family involved and things like that well um we're carrying it again and um what has happened in the meantime dphhs department of public health and human services has used some of the covid money some of the money that we, we we've had um we've gotten from the federal funding to um fund uh a screening pilot, and they're contracting with um, rural behavioral health out of Bozeman uh, to do this. We want to take it statewide, though, and that's going to take uh, several million dollars. Um, so uh, Representative Jonathan Carlin is sponsoring that bill, and it is um, because uh, uh, bills with appropriations, money attached to them, have to start in the House. 
So we're teaming up with that bill. So then um, let's see, we have a we have a two and a half billion dollar revenue balance that resulted from a lot of things that happened during during the COVID pandemic. Um, so I feel um, yes, people should should benefit from this two and a half billion dollar revenue balance. Um, so I have a bill. Taxation is a big policy. Um, progressive taxation is a big policy goal of mine, simply because with good tax policy, we can fund all of the initiatives, all of the things we believe in, like public schools, like um, healthcare for, for for many people. I believe in healthcare for all, but that's a, that's a whole other discussion. Um, so so um, I have a couple of bills, um, uh, tax credit for uh, people who pay taxes on social security and we pay state income tax on social security income. Um, so I have a tax credit to sort of balance out that, that hit that, that people on fixed income take. Um, I have a landlord tax credit that if a landlord charges under market value uh, to renters and specifically uh, affordable residential this area uh, apartments okay affordable not not high price but if the landlord charges below the market which is skyrocketing right now as we know then they can get a tax credit and and it's um scaled on on how much below how affordable their apartment is uh to rent so we have that i have a um climate is a big concern of mine climate change um we're seeing that in our in our um, manifesting in our weather, severe weather occurrences. Um, so I have a, a public dividend carbon cost bill to um, charge um, a fee for pollution to the biggest emitters, the big, the big um, smokestack companies. Um, and and what do you do with that money? I think we should just send it back to people like Alaska does. Alaska sends a dividend check to to residents. So that's my bill for that. Um, I told you about the legal review note. Um, I also have a tax credit bill for paying um, a living wage, not minimum wage, living wage is, is, is more. So, um, and that I'm looking at between starting would be between, between on the traditional minimum wage job, starting would be between 20 and 25, you get a tax credit for that. Um, and then I told you about well, I don't know if we were recording when I told you I have a I have another bill for um, comprehensive health, sex, and gender identity education in schools. Um, I have our higher Montanans first bill and uh, safe firearms storage bill, and I've got a couple others, but don't know if I'll have time to get to those. Um, it's it's not going to be a session of introducing a lot of bills it's going to be a session of working in our committees on defense on some of these bad bills like doing a lot of homework and research like i did over the weekend for the one bill i told you about um that they they just now moved to the floor it's not on the floor today but probably will be in the next couple of days and so i was able to research and do my homework so i'm having an amendment or two drawn up to make that bill better um I, I'm not fooling myself. These bad bills will pass. They will pass. Um, 
and many will go to court. Um, it's so important to take the initiative to try to make them better with amendments, because that'll go on the record that judges will then look at. So important to weigh and have your voice heard, because that goes on the record and the judges look at the record. So they know that this bill had a hundred opponents and one proponent, for example. Okay. Your your thought about amending these bills and trying to amend them, even if they're bad, reminds me of um, one thing that another Democratic Socialist in the Senate at the at the federal level uh, is known for, Bernie Sanders. Oh, uh, he's known as the Amendments King. And I'm flattered. You'd say. <laughs> yes, but that that was his strategy. You know, I mean, it's like uh, it's not as if the Montana legislature is is the only legislature that has uh, regressive right wing uh, or you know, yeah, forces that are not interested in economic, social justice, human rights, women's rights, reproductive rights. But he uh, he is known really as the amendments king. Well, I don't know if he's known, but he ought to be known. <laughs> as yeah. the amendments king because he had hundreds of amendments which improved otherwise uh, yeah. not so good bills uh, he he's mm -hmm. you know he didn't become president and you know he's, he's talking about a lot of the same he was talking about a lot of the same things you were uh and are mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. uh, it's a very hard environment to see how we can get forward but you're never one to give up i know for sure even though uh, these challenges are are uh, immense, and I want to thank you for that. Um, there are issues. Um, I mean, I know that when you mentioned your bill for a livable wage, I saw that uh, there was a bill introduced by a representative from Bozeman, Kelly Cortem, for for a minimum wage of nine fifteen, mm -hmm. which is about mm -hmm. one third of what a living wage would be. But uh, mm -hmm. at least that's better than what we have. But um, mm -hmm. There are so many issues like that that a lot of us uh, don't realize how difficult it is to make any progress whatsoever. Uh, I know from Senator Christine Kaufman from years ago, who, was, who also cared as you do about... My hero, my hero. I stand on her shoulders. Many well, of us do. Many yes, of us do. Christine, yes, Christine Kaufman... Um, it was always trying to improve the corporate, the tax structure to, you know, which has been going downhill since 2003, if I recall yep. uh, the history of this, that uh, people say, well, there isn't any money. Well, there was a lot of money and there is a lot of money, but most of it has been given away to big corporations uh, rather than used for the public good and for those who need it most. Right. Well, and that's, that's, that's happening. Um, I'm, um, really glad I'm on the Senate Taxation Committee. We're going to see a lot of these bills to um, for tax cuts from the Republicans, uh, alleged tax cuts. Um, the, the, the beneficiaries are the super wealthy. We have one um, that we're hearing tomorrow morning in taxation, Senate Bill 121, and that's the governor's income tax bracket bill, um, where he wants to reduce the income tax from uh, rate from state income tax rate from 6.5% down to 5.9%. And, um, you know, that's fine. We have the money, right? Um, the thing is, it's 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 not a, 
I don't agree with the way it's structured because what it does, it, it, it drops that rate down for everybody from 20,000 a year who earn 20,000 a year on up to people who earn 20 million a year and, and beyond. So what we need, sure, if you want to reduce the tax rate, because we have two and a half billion dollars, sure, right. But but let's make it a little more equitable. Let's have a middle ground tax rate for, let's say, those who earn between 20 and 40, a middle class tax rate, and then another one from 40 to 70 or so. Because right now, the way the governor's bill is structured, um, your 1% will will get a um, tax credit of six or $7,000. And the rest of us, like a middle income, right? Um, I'll get about a $50 a year credit compa compared to um, six, 7,000 for the wealthy. Um, so what we need to do is reduce the, we needed to have like a 5% rate for middle income folks. And then, and then um, for $20,000 folks, 4% and then go on down. Like if you earn $2,000 a year, you know, um, maybe 0.25% tax rate um, so that it's progressive. Um, and so the governor's bill is not progressive. Um, it can be. In fact, I'm working on an amendment for two more tax brackets in there. So it's, it's, so it's equitable for, for everyone. Everyone gets um, a significant tax cut not just the wealthy. And that's a theme that I know you you have always worked on for you know basic justice and fairness for the most vulnerable, the least of the, right. the brethren and, and sisters. And that has always been a challenge. Uh, I'm thinking back to Martin Luther King, who, who uh, happened to meet in person back in 1965 when I was a student at the University of Notre Dame. And I thanked him for being there and looked in his eyes and shook his hand. But I do not just, you know, have nostalgia about that, but I know that um, his he started the Poor People's Campaign back in 1968, the year he was killed. There's a new Poor People's Campaign that is trying to resurrect that, mm -hmm. that, that activity. Uh, and there's a Montana Poor People's Campaign and the basic ideas there are are really some of the ones that you're talking about here. You know, but we want equity, we want fairness, we want to not leave out the least of the family who are the most vulnerable, whether they're children, whether they're uh, women who are in abusive relationships and can't find a way to escape, uh, whether they're people who don't have health care, or some people say, well, we've got health care, but I can't afford it. Even with uh, your championing, uh, you know, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, and so forth in Montana, uh, these are great challenges. So I do really thank you for your work on these things. Are there any other? We have maybe just a few more minutes, but are there any other um, issues or or bills that you want us to think about before we uh, uh, well, say goodbye for today? There's going to be just lots of bad bills. I mean, we have, we have 4,500 bill drafts in, in process. 
and just be vigilant. Just be vigilant. Um, I, I've talked to a couple people, one, one representing a local government, and they're saying, the ones that I talked about um, in this interview, they're saying, well, they're not really tracking that one because we're tracking much worse bills. So um, yeah. it's, <laughs> there's, there's a scale of bad to worse to worse to worse to worse. Um, and it's just, again, I, I can't say enough. We're just going to need your voices to weigh in in whatever way you feel comfortable. And, you know, and if you can, you know, test the waters, go beyond your comfort zone. Um, this, I mean, our constitution, our wonderful state constitution is in jeopardy. There's bills to take out the clean and healthful environment guarantee in our Montana constitution. There's bills to chip away at the public's right to know, you know, uh, and I see it. I see it's not one swooping, one bill that you need to be cognizant of, although there are some of those, but, but it's death of our Montana constitution by a thousand slices that can happen if we're not watching. So we need to be watching, take action, and do our best to to stop these these things, these bad bills. You know, they're always. Yeah. I try to keep a track of various standpoints, and if you can believe it, I, I get four emails a day from Donald Trump when he's telling me what he's how great I am and how great a follower of his I've been. Of course, he's an ignoramus and a, a moral uh, moron, I guess is what I, I'd say. But he's he and others are sending out things that are very similar to the kinds of things that you talk about is in regressive legislation being put forth now. There's a group in Montana called the Montanans for Limited Government. Um, and what I gather is that they don't like any government. And so they, they're certainly not for um, unlimited government. They're for limited government, but they, they never express any concern of the kind that you've expressed for the rights of the poor, for the rights mm -hmm. of unions, the rights mm -hmm. of workers, the rights of women, the rights mm -hmm. of people to health care, the rights to affordable housing. Um, it's it's a great challenge, and it really is, has been our honor to have you here with us. Oh. I want to give you a chance to, uh, you are, you have been someone that I've admired uh, from close and afar for a long, long time, and I appreciate your efforts, and, and uh, as soon as you're as soon as your, um, I don't know if it's your right ankle or your left ankle. As I'll show better. you. I'll show you my boot. I have to wear it. Can you see that? Okay. okay. <laughs> so, <it's, laughs> so we can <laughs> we can do something that requires you to, to use that. Uh, not everyone knows that you were part of the uh, ping pong marathon here to raise funds for for. Uh, Afghan, Afghan refugees when you helped to raise four thousand dollars for you know those Afghan refugees right here in Helena. Well not so, everyone knows uh, you coordinated it and you actually played very well. I played very poorly, so I don't know how much I actually raised. So. Well I lost to uh, Mayor Willamot Collins and I wasn't expecting expecting that. I, I knew I wasn't <laughs> going to beat the state champion <laughs> either the men's or the women's state champions. I played them before and I've never won a game from any of them. But if there's anybody I want on my team when the legislature is in session, it is you, Marianne. 
So I want to just give you a chance to say goodbye and uh, say whatever else you might want to say. Oh, just thank you. Thank you, Frank Kronkowski. Thank you, Marshall Mayer, who's behind the scenes running this podcast. Thank you to all the folks out there watching this podcast. Thank you for your engagement in your government, because it's us. Our government is us. And um, it's important that we keep it that way. All of us. All of us. Um, and in the spirit of Martin Luther King, let's just move forward honoring everyone's individuality and the diversity that is so wonderful um, that we called our world, our world, our country, our state. Um, and let's just keep the rights that we have assured us under our U.S. Constitution and our Montana Constitution. So, so thank you. And um, my, you know, my contact information is on the legislative webpage under find a legislator, but I can just give you my, my cell phone right now. I'm not sure that everybody has a pencil or paper or, or pen, um, but maybe you can text, text it to yourself or something. It's 406 area code 461 5358 406-461-5358. Texting or calling is the best way to reach me. I just get swamped with, with emails. Everybody does, but um, um, yeah. So just weigh in. And if you don't know how to do it, just give me a call and we'll, we'll, we'll walk you through it. So there's also, I, I'd like to say, if you go on to the legislative website if you've never engaged before sent a comment there's a there's a, a way to get to part on the website just to walk you through how to do it how to do it how to how to address the chair at a hearing things like that so thanks everybody okay well thank you very much marianne onward and onward together onward together marianne dunwell senator you're from helena has been our guest in today's montana dsa podcast of the Democratic Socialists of Montana. We're continuing this series and we'll be doing a weekly uh, set of uh, interviews with important people who are very knowledgeable, very caring, who care about the rights that progressives do care about. And uh, we'll be, we have uh, made arrangements uh, with people from the Missoula Tennis Union, with, with the Northern Plains Resource Council, uh, and people from the Billings um, City Council who are members of Democratic Socialists of America who are knowledgeable on these issues as well. And so uh, keep uh, coming back to this website uh, for more uh, weekly podcasts from the Montana Democratic Socialists of America. Thank you very much. Thank you. As, as is our theme here, we promote the cause of strong democratic unions. Besides the third wave workers of Missoula at Black Coffee Roasters, there are efforts to do more unionizing in Western Montana, among other service industry and other workers as well. Um, there are six more worksite organizing drives happening here in Missoula this month with support from the Western Montana Workers Alliance. Anyone who works in Western Montana and who is interested in organizing or know someone who does, and you do know someone, you can find support and practical help by calling or emailing the Western Montana Workers Alliance. There are experienced and trained volunteers to help you get going. You can contact the Western Montana Workers Alliance at uh, westernmtwa at gmail.com, which is W-E-S-T, 
E-R-N-M-T-W-A at gmail.com or you can leave a message at 406-924-3830. That's 406-924-3830. Well, uh, I want to thank Sandy and Jim. I think I think we lost Jim <laughs> somewhere. He's on the ski hills, I'm sure. I hope he's not buried in <laughs> snow. Um, and, uh, uh, but, uh, thank you, Sandy and, and Jim for being on the show. It was a good show. For sure. Great to be here. And, um, and thanks everyone for listening. Um, please make a contribution to Missoula community radio and help keep all of the great programs on the air. Just go to our new website at www.1015kfgm.org and you can make it there. Most everyone associated with Missoula Community Radio do so without pay, including all of us. Uh, We are volunteering our time, so please volunteer a few dollars. Thanks. Please join us every week on Voice of the People, radio by and for the 99%. Here they got the range and the machinery for change And it's here they got the spiritual thirst It's here the family's broken And it's here the lonely say That the heart has got to open in a fundamental way Democracy is coming to the U.S.A. Stay in the scene And I'll need the left or right 
Democracy is coming to the 